0: Welcome back to the podcast. Sponsoring the podcast today are Westway Nissan. Westway Nissan, the MD of which is ex-military himself, my good friend Tony Lewis. Westway Nissan, the UK's largest Nissan dealership. They have exclusive deals with Nissan whereby you can only get certain makes and models of Nissan with Westway Nissan. They've got dealerships all over the UK. They've even got one in the home of the British Army down in Aldershot. They like to support military veterans and serving personnel. So if you like to go and get new cars or used cars or vehicles, then you should get along with West Wing, Nissan. They do new, they do used vehicles, they do private-type vehicles, they do commercial-type vehicles. If you are serving personnel or ex-military, they can provide, where possible, up to a 20% discount for purchases from them. Not only can you buy from them, you can also get lease hire with Westway Nissan. So get the Westway Nissan to find out what their deals They've always got offers on, always got offers on. Um, or get in, better off, get into one of the dealerships, go see the shiny, shiny, nice new cars. Go and meet the salespeople who love to help serving the ex military personnel. Westway also like to employ serving personnel where they can so if you are looking for work if you're not sure what you gonna do maybe you're transitioning out of the military and you're not sure what you want to do pick up the phone to westway they might have a position there that would suit you um i know over the last few months they've employed a couple of a, uh, two or three veterans one of them um is a mate of mine and uh, he's recently employed by westway and he is very a very very happy man indeed so thank you to Westman for supporting the podcast and also for supporting the wider veteran community. Westman is on social media, uk for their website. Cheers to those lovely people. Also sponsoring the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes is a not-for-profit organisation. They organise fundraising events to raise money for military charities. They're... Well, the next event is sold out, so there's no point in mentioning it. I'm going to mention it anyway. It's the supper club in the Tame Hair and Lemonton Spa. Tame Hair is a fantastic restaurant, also supporters of the military. Um, but that event is sold out. That is going to be raising money for the 353 Trust and Team Rubicon UK. There is a big festival coming on. It's the Rugby for Heroes Beer and Gin Festival, which is taking place at Old Lemontonians RFC in Lemonton Spa beautiful Warwickshire that is on the 8th and the 9th of May 2020 that's VE weekend VE day weekend the 75th anniversary of VE day weekend there's a Forces Barbarians rugby match going on that day um, versus the Old Edmontonians RFC veterans there are going to be a bunch of veteran-owned stands there Team Rubicon UK going to be there HR4K going to be there and a bunch of other people a bunch of ex-podcast guests going to be live music the jump dogs are going to be jumping in a free fall display team uh, formed um, or they're made up of a predominantly ex-military folk Red Devils um, Red Devils performers etc they're gonna be jumping in on the day and um, you can camp on site I think there's caravan hookups available Friday and the Saturday Saturday is the big one you're more welcome on the Friday for the festivities on the Friday evening I will see you there for details on that event any other events you can go to this year of the Rugby for Heroes. Go to rugbyforheroes.org. or on social media. Go to at rugby number four heroes. Rugby for Heroes on social media. Thank you to Rugby for Heroes, Mike, and all the rest of the team who do amazing work for all of their support to the veterans in organising these events. That's it. Onto the podcast. My guest today uh, is uh, he's an author. He's he's his pen name is Chris Ryan. Um, I think his most famous book is called "The One That Got Away" about an infamous SES patrol he was part of. Known as Bravo Two Zero back in the nineties in during the Gulf War. He uh, he has now left the SES. He very kindly agreed to come on the podcast. I was also joined by my good friend uh, Ben Garwood, who's recently left the SES, and Ben is obviously the owner of HR4K. So the three of us had a, a fascinating conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. You got Chris Ryan. Oh, uh, you got Chris Ryan. Colin Armstrong's real name. Uh, Colin, who is um, who is a different era of of special forces to Ben. Ben's recently got out, so the three of us had a. It was a really interesting conversation. Very very candid in parts, and uh, and uh, I learned a lot from a lot from Colin, and um, it was hugely beneficial. I think very much enjoyed it. Recorded at HR4K. Say it. Enjoy it. HR podcast with. Um, Colin Armstrong, and Ben Garbage. No, I did, so Huey, and a Canadian, kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, Because yeah, so. the Canadians have webbed feet, don't they? Yeah. Uh, absolute pleasure, us. Nice called, to you. pleasure to meet yeah. you, Thanks. Ben. weasel your way onto the podcast again. Mm. So, twenty five years ago, when I was reading a certain book by a person called Chris Ryan, did not expect I'd be sitting here twenty five years later talking to the man. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then to find out you haven't done a podcast yet.
1: Yeah.
0: First podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, technology. Sweet. Technology. <laughs> But you guys, so, so people are, I know Ben, you guys have got similar background in, in Tutu. Um, pick up the conversation from where we were talking before we started. You're on about the, the there was no social media back in the day. No, I mean, the
1: internet didn't even exist when I was in, you know, in, in the regiment. Um, I can see the benefits, obviously, it gives you, but also the negativity and, uh, from that side. So it's a balance. Um, the fact that, you know, simple things that you can look on Google, you know, Google Maps, for, for instance. Uh, if you go back to the, the first Gulf War, the map, the mapping that we had dated back to 1945. That's when it was printed. And then they give us a modern one, but it was an aviator's map, so it was a quarter of a million. It was absolutely unfit for purpose. Um, GPS's. GPS's came in a box like that, and um, they weren't that accurate and they were very difficult to use. So I can see the benefits of technology. That was the Magellan, a big yeah, yeah, base yeah, yeah. from Magellan. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah,
0: the, the the aviation maps. I mean, when I went to Afghanistan 2006, we got was it that? No, it was Iraq. Went to Iraq in two thousand three, and we got given the maps, and they were one in one million mm-hmm. aviation maps. What? You know, but they dish them out anyway. They give them out anyway. Well,
1: yeah, <laughs> our escape maps. They were they were, you know, they covered the whole of Iraq. Um, I suppose they were the only decent things. And I was lucky that I just had to follow the course of a river. I'd have been screwed if it had been in the jungle or a different, you know, theatre of operations. Um, I, I wouldn't have gotten out. So all I had to do is get a balance of where the river was, and that's where you get all your, you know, your habitation, the locals. But then the waddies ran down towards the river. Now, if I pulled away so I was more in the interior, it meant I was walking up and down, um, and there was no way I was going to cover... 190 odd miles by doing that so I, I try to stay on the plains and just stay far enough away from from the locals but if I'd had you know a GPS or had a decent map you could have picked your way
0: through and it would have been a lot easier yeah do you think that um, we can come back on to that but that, the hundred and ninety miles I forgot how far it was do you think you guys think that with the advancement of information technology especially with social media is concerned now, do you think that it impacts the quality of the recruit generally speaking, for the British
2: forces? Oh, we talked about this a few times. I think, um, <clears throat> so I mean, we played in the woods as kids. That's what we we, we talked about. Some we, we, we played in the woods as the kids. We, field craft was something very natural to a lot of us because we did that all the time. I haven't seen, I think the standards of field craft had to be a lot more worked on. They'd have to be worked on by the depot screws and their instructors more so than they would have done probably certainly in my time when I first joined and certainly your time. Um, when it comes to technology, however, we're seeing uh, the recruits now and also the students now, they're all over it. I mean, straight away, you can give them the kit, but the problem you've got then is how to implement the technology or what happens when that te- technology goes down. How do you still... So, for example, it's great uh, to have a GPS and to have all these other bits and pieces. What happens if your GPS goes down? Do you have the knowledge of knowing what the rivers do? Do you have the knowledge of... Uh, how to hide, how to evade, the reason why things are seen, etc., etc. So I think the seeing, or what I have seen is people all over technology, but not necessarily over the basic skills.
1: We were just talking about that as well. <clears throat> In my experience going back into the, into the, well, it was late 70s, I was getting ready to join as a boy soldier. I got jaundiced, so I was put back, um, missed that intake. In that in-between time, I joined the TA two 23SES, and there, their focus was a lot of escape and evasion, living out in the woods, under a basher, uh, navigational skills. We used to do them, stay behind shelters on the, on the German border. Now, that's just, that's a basic skill. That's your foundations. Um, I had the feeling when I joined 22 in, in the mid-80s, um, we were above it. We wouldn't, nobody was interested in doing an escape and evasion exercise because I meant you were going to get dirty, wet and, you know, it was going to be difficult. But that is the foundations of any soldier, whether it be an ordinary infantry or a special forces soldier, he needs to know that. Everything that Ben has just said there, That that is, that's a must. It's pretty really basic, yeah. Right? Yeah, you, you can't skip on it. And then from that side, I think, again, a lot of young kids coming in maybe now need to be taught that and, and shown that. But I, I, there's, there's a, a second sense, I think, you, you look at, where you will see something and you'll know that's danger before you've even worked out you know where's your escape route you you move into a position and you go right i'm blocked in here if i get taken this side i've got nowhere to run or whatever all the basic stuff and it's very important i think that soldiers understand that you get that when
2: you go into like a pub yeah you know straight no, you away do. your hairs go on the back thing uh, i've got a bad vibe with this place this doesn't feel right i need to do this mm. so i need to raise this to everyone else to kind of get to get out so sort of
1: Totally. You, there's just something there. You know when a guy gives you a look, you, you can pick out regiment guys, you can pick out military guys, just by simple things. And you, you're making these assessments as you're ordering that pint of lager as well. And you will see where if somebody's got an interest in you when you're walking down a street. I mean, because of the work I've done since leading a regiment and being in the, say, the the public domain, I still walk down the street and I'm looking. The guy's looking at me. I'm thinking, the fuck are you looking at? And I made a big mistake one time, and this is going back probably 15 years. I was in a bar in Newcastle, and this guy's standing staring at me. So I thought, fuck, I'm not going to wait till it kicks off. So I went across and said, fucking, you know, what's wrong? What's your problem? And I went, oh, I just thought you were Chris Ryan. And I felt <laughs> such hate. Just, I was like, oh, Christ's sake. You know, it, it was just one of them things. You have to live up the reputation there, you're <laughs> Yeah, <I> well,
2: it's <laughs> No, I was more
1: embarrassed. But uh, anyway, but no, that's getting on to the basics. Because I'll tell you one thing, and, and you'll, you both know this. One thing with technology, it always fails. And it always fails when you, you need it. It's like, it's like that stoppage on a, on, a, on a weapon. It's like when you can't get through on the radio or, or the internet crashes. And again, going back to basic skills, getting that compass out. Now, when, in 1991, when, when we were on the ground there, um, we'd been given the wrong frequencies for um, the 320, which had the EMU, the burst system, and uh, we couldn't get through. And it came down to me on Morse code basics. You know, if you don't have them skills, you can't do it. And that was I remember doing an exercise with Delta. We went over to Oman. This is in the um, mid 80s, and uh, they had radio, handheld radios, and we were getting out the, the 320 and tapping away after. You know getting the the code book out the encryption out running through all of that and he was laughing and joking at us and i thought you know it must be fantastic just to be able to get a you know like a, an encrypted uh, radio and be able to talk but then we went to the jungle where his kit didn't work and he couldn't communicate um, and that's basics
2: there's also something that you've got at the moment is the reliance on technology so um we've seen this a lot recently in when uh I joined 20 plus years ago, when you joined, um, we worked on SCEDS. We only communicated when we needed to communicate. We communicated on times and, and that we were told to need to. What we're seeing now is an over, um, uh, over need, um, a requirement for information. We're seeing a lot of the, the officers where they need this information. Uh, and the reason why that happens is because we're seeing we're overly risk adverse culturally because that's the way we've become. And because we're overly risk adverse, we need that information to give us the warm fuzzy. Also, what we find is officers just can't be content with what information they have, so they need to put little pictures on the wall. But all they're doing is, is um, compromising the member the analogy I, I gave Jim Paul is the dick pic. Mm. A dick pic is a pointless piece of information that only ever gets you into trouble. So why send a dick pic? You know, and all that a dick pic is in modern technology is constantly sending me a sick rep of what you're up to. You don't need to know that. Yep. The more I tra- uh, transmit, the more the enemy are going to see me and the more I'm going to get compromised mm. so just stick to the basics yep. the basics work that's why we did it uh, you know. well that's yeah. a big
1: basic thing like even
2: you
1: know going back in the day whenever you were doing a job the, the coming across the old radio waves was what's happening give me a feel and it's like keep the airwaves clear they had a problem with this in the when the B squadron did the embassy down was it 90, 80, 80, 81 or whatever um, yeah, they, a lot of the officers outside w- were told, just keep quiet. We'll tell you when we've got something to say because it chucks everything up and nobody can get through. Nobody knows what, what's going on.
0: 1980, 40th anniversary. So, yeah, yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, no, absolutely. I, so, I mean, I remember when I joined up, I joined after you. And when I joined up, um, I went, went to 3 para, and it was we were getting ready to go. I think it was Northern Ireland or something like that. And I had to put the all back together. Between Sergeant had to put the all back together. And that consisted of hand around an A4 sheet of paper with some lines on it, and you filled your own details in. Right? Fast forward when I became a Between Sergeant 2008. Jesus Christ. Mm. Office, computer, my entire day was spent behind a computer. Because yeah. it was no longer just an all back, exactly you're saying. All this other stuff, all this other stuff. And some of it's necessary, some of it's not. But, I, you know, it took an effort to take myself away from that, spend time with the blokes, get out and the fitness in the morning, whereas other people couldn't do it. Well, seven
1: seven. my brother, he's still in PowerEdge, he's commissioned now, and he's, he's, he, he spoke about the, the health and safety aspect of it, and it was a paper chase. Now, a lot of soldiers, when they join the army, they're not really equipped to be, you know, doing a lot of paperwork. It's a Certain types of guys, you know, are suited to it. And a lot of it is a waste of bloody time. When when you consider what we're asking, you know, young paratroopers or young young blades to do, you don't need them out writing reams and reams of shit. Um, It's, but I think that's society. When I've been on film sets doing different different things, the health and safety. It's like a phone directory, and we don't have that anymore, do we? But it's a big book, just crap. So what happens if you trip over that set? E, what are you going to do? Please, you know. It yeah. becomes a
2: hindrance on training. There is obviously there's an absolute need for a lot of it. I, I can be right, but health and safety has to be there to ensure that it's um, being it's supporting the training rather than being a hindrance <coughs> to the training. There is a certain amount of risk taken in our in our professions, um, so we need that extra little um, kind of bit of rope. But to be fair, the more and more constraints upon ourselves, the harder it is to actually when we want to go out the door in the end. It's hard enough to get those operations signed off mm. because we because we're overly risk averse.
0: Yeah, and I, 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 especially where I think where um, Hereford and Pool SF concerned so in general, one of the problems you've got with that you've got the health and safety risk adversity on the one side, plus very well known unit, a lot of public interest in it. So as as that, I'm really interested in your, your thoughts on this. I don't know any spent time in the training wing, but I remember when. I remember when someone or a couple of people on selection died a few years ago? Obviously, it's happened regularly. Not regularly, it has happened in the past. But I remember a few years ago, hit the news. One or two people died on selection, and it went bigger than Ben. Hill. And it probably that happens a fraction of the time. You know, risk is managed, but at the end of the day, of course, things are going to go pear-shaped because of the public interest in the unit. It was it, the, the reaction to it was. It was, what's the, what's the word, it was a complete overreaction, a yeah. completely knee-jerk <coughs> reaction, which I sure, no doubt handled, the I'm training, it impacts the quality of the troop that you get in the unit.
3: i
2: yeah.
0: uh, just, well, I'll finish on that piece,
2: just from my side, but before I left, there was a whole body set up to look after this, and they do a brilliant job, and they're all from the same backgrounds. So the people who actually dig out blind, they know exactly what we're training, how we're training, so they know exactly what they need to achieve. So the hats off to those guys for being able to do that. And what they do is make sure it's relevant to how we sort of conduct yeah. ourselves. The problem is, is everyone else trying to put their pennies worth in. And sure. you know, the more we've opened ourselves up, quite rightly, as you said, the more we open ourselves up, there's more people trying to get involved
3: in it.
1: Mm. No, I mean, there is a thing, I guess, in terms of health and safety, but I would I would imagine it's more prior to an operation, making sure the orders are given correctly. And that is a, there's a proper ledger of orders of actions on. So... In my case, there was, back at, back at the base, it was rumour control, or they're going to head to Turkey, or they're going to head to Syria, or through Syria. Nobody had a clue where we were going. So your estimate that you put, and um, the There was plan. no estimate. There was no, like, uh, formal orders or anything. It was basically verbal um, on the back of a fag packet. Uh, mm. We're going in, we're walking up, putting the OP in. We've got a 48-hour uh, lost comms procedure which we can go on to, because that was really important, um, and that was it. Uh,
0: so the lost comms, so 48 hours. Yeah. If there was no comms for 48 hours, yeah. then there'd be a action on.
1: Yes, we would then... Um, it's a long old time. Oh, it is. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, um, especially if somebody's chasing you. I'll tell you. But, uh, no, we, um, what was important, we had this lost comms procedure, and um, we were told that the, the, the heli would come in to an RV... They would either give us a new radio um, or pick us up and relocate us or bring us back. Which was fine in principle. The problem was when we left camp and we were on the ground, they changed the policy. They said, uh, 48 Moscons, forget about it, we're not going in to get them. Now, I, if they'd said to me when I was standing at the back of that Chinook, you're going in, but there's going to be no recovery if it goes wrong. I'd still get on the helicopter because that's what you're in the regiment or the army for. You're going, to, you're going in there to do a job, and yes, our risk would, would be very high. But you're in the SAS for God's sake, you know. So we would have all gotten in that helicopter. The trouble was when we were contacted, we were making to an RV, thinking there was a helicopter coming in at 2000 hours. Now, if the Iraqis are getting in front of us in that RV, we would have fought through, undoubtedly lost guys to get there, to be sitting there, waiting, 20, 200 hours comes in and there's no bird. That was the problem.
0: So they changed it and didn't tell you. Yeah. Right. I mean, there was nearly a
1: mutiny back with their B squadron, you know, when they knew things had gone wrong. Um, and they said, we can't, we can't, we can't send a, you know, a helicopter in there. They did say that the message I sent was corrupt. It wasn't, because I've spoken to the signaler. Uh, it was a young signaler in Cyprus uh, that I was basically, it was it was open, it was on the guard net, and as I said, we're compromised, we need we need to pick up now, and he came back, understood. Um, going back to that thing of, of the RV, it's knowing that there's an RV or safety's there, and that directs you, where, as it was, the Iraqis weren't... It, between us and that RV, we made to the RV, but we got there I think five minutes before, and we couldn't hear that boom, boom, boom. So we knew it wasn't coming because you know on general, generally the RAF are on time um, from there. So then that dictated that we had to, to um, keep moving on foot because the Iraqis were still um, following us up. It's it's decisions like that that can cost lives, and it's unnecessary, you know.
0: What was the so? The aftermath of, of the operation then
1: well see this is a big thing uh, when we got back every every op or anything i did in the regiment there was a debriefing and we get into the old interest room squadron interest room and you would poke fingers at, you know how what went wrong how it went well and it cleared the air we got back and uh, there was no debriefing and it was very unhealthy because then You've got like, well, originally it was eight guys, three got killed, you've got five guys that, you know, haven't haven't let steam off in it. Why it, wasn't there a briefing? Did it, well, they, they wanted to, like, it wanted to be covered up. The third, Ben will attest to this, I don't know, have you ever heard of guys coming back from an operation and then being given money to go on holiday? Huh? Yes, we got back. <laughs> I was getting ready to go to Everest, to climb Everest, so, but I was barking at this point. Um, I was seeing things, hearing voices, and uh, I got in, and uh, OC came in and said, uh, I think it was a thousand pound, book yourself a holiday, I thought, I'll keep the thousand pound, but I'm going, to, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to Everest. He went, no, you're not. And uh, I ended up going to Tenerife, sat with me missus, with a, like a slap, you know, a face like a slapped ass, you know, like that for a fortnight other guys went off and then we came back and it was this if um, nothing had happened as in right get on with your uh, work guys so you had this thing covering it people were covering their asses. that's right from the top to the bottom and it's not good and you know things went on and I can remember it was the that year's uh, cross brief um, we, we were all told that we would um, talk about what happened, you know, the experience of being captured or the escape and, you know, how we could change it. Well, not naming names, but the ops officer, um, he was in charge of, um, like, say, claymores and pistols that all went missing. Two or three grenades went missing. So I, I put my paper, I had to submit my brief to the regiment. And it was just like scrubbed out. He said, keep it to about five to ten minutes. And I went, what, well, my escape? And he went, yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? I can do Five minutes is like, you know, is not long enough. And there's an interest there. The guys want to know what it was like. A&D squadron, when they found out that I was like, on, well, we were on the run. They were like, these guys are going to die. They were in double sleeping bags. The, the diesel was freezing up and the Land Rovers, everything. So they wanted to know what the procedures were. In the headshed were like that. No, five minutes. You can talk for five minutes. See, because from right from the top to the bottom, there was mistakes made. And the other bad thing as well there was medals being handed out. Now, I've got this theory on medals. You know, they shine bright in, in sunlight, but they cast really long shadows. And it's, it just complicates things. And there was a few people, officers weren't getting them. Some were getting them. So they just wanted this shit show to go away, and it, it it didn't do. I know some of the guys in the regiment suffered. Some of the guys in the patrols suffered mentally through that because there wasn't like a you know a clearing of, um, of voicing or or you know even even as petty as blaming somebody, and then it clears the air and you can get on because you've had your say.
0: It's essentially the two reasons. That one like you said absolutely, the, the, the mental aspect of it. I had a conversation recently, I can't remember which podcast it was or summer. we were who the fuck was that? I can't remember what it was, but we were, they were talking about that. You come in off a off an operation, off a mission, and the benefits to that after action review debrief. One, yes, you you learn your lessons, you have a go at your macaji you fuck that and you clear that air, you learn how you fuck that how to improve on it me move forward. And the other aspect is, okay, that's, that is, drawing a line under that yeah. one and let's move on. Yeah. And, and from a mental aspect, it's absolutely fucking It's
2: also recognition as well. I think, I think it's important the units recognition what those individuals gone through. Yeah. Um, I think it's too easy just to say, right here, you've got five minutes on a cross brief or you, you're not even on the cross brief, you know, and, and which has happened to some lads. You know, and, but what those lads, although they get the recognition of their own friends and their own guys in the patrol, what they're not doing is getting the official recognition from the unit as a whole that what's actually happened and I think that is a massive thing to clear the air. Mm. And that's what people actually need there. It was a
1: funny, this is, this is, it was quite funny when I think about it, it wasn't funny at the time, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the lads that were left from that patrol were all called up to the CO's office. And I got there first, and the boss, um, he said, right. He said, in five minutes, you're going into a room through there. He said, there's a doctor, psychologist, doc, and a psychiatrist. He said they want to make a, like a, they want a set up here. He said you go in there and you tell them you're fine. I don't care if you're not. You just tell them you're fine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went in, sat down with them, and i have got this diagram on the uh, on the wall, and it's a it's a jug with their uh, water in for a normal person, half filled. Uh, for somebody who's stressed, it's it's full. So I'm sat and he goes, um, do you have any nightmares? I went, no, nope. first lie. Uh, Are you seeing any images? No, nope. second lie. Uh, Everything all right at home? Absolutely, fourth lie and so on. And then he said, uh, "Right." he said, what do you want to do? I went, I want to go for a run because I'm on my lunch break. And he went, well, "Okay." okay. I mean, I was barking and so was all the other lads, but there wasn't even a... I think really what they should have done, like a sergeant major or or a senior, a senior member of the regiment, balanced, you know, somebody had switched on should should have sat us down and said, "Fellas, what's going on?" Because I went up to um, I got posted to forward Project, projection, and I was sat there with a lad from D Squadron, and he'd been, in, he was the last guy out of the helicopter, when in the Falklands, and he said, "Geordie, do you um." Do you have any nightmares? I'm like, no. He said, there any problems or anything like that? I was like, nah, nah. I'm like, nah, no thing. I said, why do you? He went actually. He said, um, I was the last guy out of the helicopter. Um, his legs were trapped under a guy's uh, guy's legs, and this lad pulled his legs out and pushed them, tapped them on, and this lad knew that that guy had died. He said, I cannot sleep in a room with the door closed, and uh, he said, you know. if if I, if I go to bed sleep and the missus comes to bed and she closes the door i said i wake up gasping from it and he said it's a real problem when i go to hotels i can't can't leave a hotel door open and he said I have, I have real problems i was like well i said to tell you the truth mate i said i can't sleep in a room without the door being closed and it was the opposite effect of his and it was i mean I, I in my house I had uh, locks on the bedroom doors if I went to a hotel I was dragging like drawers across you know the door and it's just when I look back now sim- One of my hardest field interrogations was through uh, uh three parrot and it was up in Otterburn and, and again I'd be about 18 years old and uh, you had to get captured now just off the ranges there's a, a river that runs through one of the valleys called Blind Burn and there's a section where it is um, about 12 foot deep. And being up north in the, on the borders, it's always freezing cold. Well, these buckets got me, and they stripped me down, tied ropes around my wrist, and put me into the water until I was numb. And then they had a couple of airborne shelters with, uh, you know, the uh, gas um, heaters in there, and they just bring you in. And the pain, you know, as it comes through your fingers, Everything. you just sat watching me, and you doubled up. And then you didn't see, you know, anything other than, you know, the magic for you were back in that water, which then took your breath away, and you're there, then giving it this. I couldn't get away. With it. I don't suppose you could get away with that shit now.
2: Right? I had I had two powers, my hunter force, and because um, I was ex two powers, as the older guys were coming around, everyone was screwing. They're not trying to, you know, like put, put food in my mouth. Got to a stage where I couldn't take on <laughs> any more food, and I'm getting, I'm getting. Gobbed off at by the new crows who didn't know me. <laughs> the older geezers are trying to square me away, and I'm going into these interviews, about to get smashed in these interviews, trying to swallow as much food as can. <laughs> mega. But then, obviously, the whole time, I just got accused of cheating or, or, or staying in hotels. Or, you you, can't, win. No, you
0: no, can't win. No,
2: no, no. no. Well, like, we, we used to... When I was on training wing as
1: an instructor, we'd say to the guys, you know, cheating's not a crime. It's getting caught. Yeah. And if you get caught, you're in the shit. So just don't get caught. Because, I mean, I... I was with a uh, me and a, a, lad, a lad from Two and we had like three guys just doing combat survival with us. And um, I can remember just before we were getting released, we got the old pipe into with Johnny and I was. I don't want to. Sw- I don't want to swallow that. And we, we create, uh, got one of the guys, dodged um, that uh, doing the course to swallow it. And when it eventually came out, we um, went to this farm, knocked on the old door, farmer's wife comes in, um, like, uh, is there? A, a, is there any shops around? And she said, I know exactly who you are. Get into the barn. My husband will be back shortly. She came in with tea and sandwiches. He comes back, comes in the barn. He said, what do you want, husband? You want to go to a shop? So he went, two minutes, I'll get the car. He comes out. He's got a shotgun, which he's loaded. <laughs> <laughs> we get in the back, gets into a village, go in, buy a load of Mars bars and everything else, take them out. And uh, he's standing in the, in the street waiting, and I'm thinking if the hundred force comes down here, he'll
2: let a couple of. of but what what if he found you with a Johnny in your <laughs> hand, with five pounds? And <laughs> <his> <laughs> missus? missus?
1: <laughs> I mean, how would that look? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, everybody did it. It was it was funny because um, again, with um, again being switched on, we were caught in this copse, and the dog teams came up, and they had this freaking violet, It looked like a Shetland pony. And um, me and Dick, sorry. swear, about, I, uh, on. Uh, uh, We're sitting there and we said to these <sighs> lads, out, uh, obviously, okay, we're a lot better than you guys. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to break that way, distract the dog team. The dog will come after us. You run that way. So push yourselves right to the edge. And When we give you the thumbs up, you run. So we'll let that you go. Get on the edge go to they start running, stay still. Good bloke, absolutely <laughs> jacked on his game. I can remember seeing this thing bounding across and the scream from one of the guys that just pulled him down. Then me and me and my mate just, uh, we leg it. Um, it was good times, uh, I them.
2: Times. I got accused of, uh, I got, was that was it. The interrogator was this quite an attractive uh, woman and um, she was, she, was, she was going at me, proper beasting me. And she was saying, why have you got this weapon system? And it's weird. obviously we were using like rubber weapons at the time. Why have you got this weapon? And I said, well, actually it's this weapon, and such and such. And uh, why were you holding these radios? Why did you have all this kit on you? And, and I said, listen, I just got let down. I got let down by my unit. I got let down by, by my subunit. I got let down by my company. I've just been let down. There's no one ever let you down. I we went on like this and I, was, I had these like poppy dog eyes and she looked at me and then she went round the back, came back round and slapped me in the face. She said, you little bastard, you nearly had me then, just for a moment. But, but then it's classic because my chat lines have been so shit that I've never been able to keep the pattern going for long enough anyway.
1: So I just kind of ran out of things to say. I'll tell you what, the, uh, the female interrogators were always good. They would um catch people out. On my, on my selection, Um, six guys were all caught out by the female interrogator and all she was doing is you knew exactly when you went in there that you're going to get stripped down, your dick's going to be about this big because it's freezing cold and she's going to pull the, you know, make out of it. She did it and I mean some of these lads have all been down south, they were big, big guys, launched themselves over the desk to try and throttle her and that was like, you know, nearly four months of hard training. Really? Yeah, straight off.
0: Losing the plot, yeah, going for
1: it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Flipping it. And it was unprecedented you know, that you, you, you had it. And when I was on training, ring, whenever we lost a, a student, it would be through a female interrogator pulling the mick
0: out the size of your dick, and you're like, ah. Well, I've had that all my life, so I kind of <laughs> used to it. <laughs> no, but... in, interesting topic there, because the male-female dynamic is a fascinating one, mm. and a flipping unknown quantity, definitely, broadly speaking, in the terms of Battlefield stuff. Mm. Obviously, recently had um, first female to pass uh, all
3: arms, uh, all arms P
0: company. Yeah, Rosie, Captain Rosie Wilde, Congratulations. Um, and and my 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 daughter actually, my youngest, said to me a couple of months back, "Why don't they allow women? Why don't they allow women to be to go to war?" I said, "Well, they do. They they don't. No, they don't. Yeah, they do." No, I don't, Daddy. Trust me, they do. I serve with them on the front line. You know, medics, yeah. dog handlers. R&Ds. We brought a clerk. I remember in 2006 when that first, that Hague 4 Afghan tour kicked off. And we brought a clerk on the ground who was this high, you know, probably weighed four stone, piss wet through, took, took on the ground. She said, yeah, I go on the ground. Took got on the ground for the crack. Talk about health and safety nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> on the ground, right? And, uh, but... Females in infantry units... What do we think about that? An issue?
2: Well, well, she's yep. not going to be an infantry unit, is she? That's not. What, she's not going to be a paratrooper. That's Who? not what the uh, Rosie, the girl, has just. No, been no, to, no. So, but he, he, so she's he not. Going our to change. But you know, there is a, an, a administration <laughs> issue, isn't there? You know, potentially, it depends on how culturally how open we are with having communal showers, toilets and everything else like that. It depends the problem often is the fact that we overcomplicate the situation by now going, right well we'll need extra toilets, we'll need extra showers, we'll need extra this and bits and pieces. Well, you know, if there's a role for her, I mean certainly on jobs that I know I've been on where I've had um being on searches, they've been on everything we've done. They've been on the they've been right at the front there with us and done everything we need to do. Um um We've never had a problem. We've never had a problem with the administration side of that. We didn't make it a problem. There was a requirement for these people to be on the ground. I think it comes down to, is there a requirement? Are we forcing the issue just to make sure that we've got a woman who's there?
3: I think,
1: yeah, that's the danger. If you get, say, a defence minister or somebody who wants to see the first woman in the SES and they they change the standards of selection, that's dangerous because you're not doing the, the, the system any good and you're actually... Not doing her any good because she'd never be able to live with it. Because the, the guys would see if if you're changing, and and we've all seen in the past where you get you know an MP sticking his nose into the military and and tweaking a process that shouldn't be you know changed.
0: I I would say that is a danger. I agree. Um, I I sort of changed my opinion in the last few years. I'm of the like. I think I think it's going to go that way anyway. I think it's absolutely fine to end up, I mean, the administration side of things, the, the UK sort of camp life side of things aside, and the, the cost that's going to be incurred to accommodate females if you talk about integrating them into what are kind currently of all-male units because you, you, you're you going to go from all-male-oriented toilets, just toilets, for example, to now unisex. Well, just implementing those, like building changes are going to cost a bomb, right? That <laughs> aside. I think if standards stay the same, because the standards are set, the standards are set because that's what battle dictates, that's what war dictates, that's what missions dictate, operational environment dictates, right? Well, you're absolutely right. If they start lowering those to accommodate females because you want to meet a fucking quota, then it's bullshit. Okay. But let's say that they don't. Let's say that they don't change the uh, standards you need to meet to be able to go into the paras, go into the guards, go into the flipping whoever the rifles, whoever. having a woman as part of, uh, well, let's say you've got a woman in the SAS as part of your patrol. Or back your three power as part of the section of the two oh, two Oh, two power of yourself, sorry. See that as an issue? See any, can you imagine, it's, putting it's, yourself through I, it see I, as an issue on the ground? You know, I honestly think, is what is the
2: requirement for that person to be there? What are they doing? What are they bringing to the party that uh, another male isn't, are they bringing, Have they met the standard and can they carry the kit and ensure they can do everything they need to do? If they can do, then fair play. But if they can't, we just put them there purely politically or to get a Rupert, another um, you know, uh, uh, another promotion. Then that's just ridiculous. That's obviously going to be a hindrance and, and uh, uh, an issue on
3: the people that saying.
1: And also it depends on the theatre where you're operating. Because, it, again, there is certain areas and different roles where you want females. Absolutely. Next to you, but they don't have to be badged. They just need to be, you know. In my day, it was the debt to be in that unit and whatever. Um But no, it's in the eighties. There was a, a CO decided we were under strength, and he dis, he he made a decision that anybody past the hills phase would automatically pass the jungle. There was no no failures in the jungles <laughs> now. Again, this is where you get interference from above. I believe the most important part of SES selection is the jungle. Absolutely. Because you've got the guys, they've shown they've got the fitness, that's it. It's now, can they carry a weapon? Can they think, you know, on their feet? Can they see
2: things? All the basic shit.
3: What well, we're yeah, going on... is your
2: health and safety to get to the trees. It's to show you're fit enough to work in the yep. trees.
1: And place. on this particular um, selection, it was around about 87. Um, it was that laxed. The, student, the students were actually putting OPs on the DS, and they knew that as long as they stuck with it, they would get in. What happened, about a year after them guys passing, it was a large pass rate. Probably about 10 or 12 of them were RTU'd. Sadly, some of them were killed because they shouldn't have been there in the first place because somebody tried to change selection. And as I have said, the jungle is where... You see into the soul of of your you know your, your um, students. You understand. You, you know him better because you're watching him. You know every single day. And this this CEO didn't get it. He didn't understand it. He just thought the hill space was. But surely he would have done the
2: jungle phase himself, though. Yeah, it's...
1: yeah. He, um, he, he he. I think he had fricking issues. This guy. He was the one that brought in uh, cross pollination, where. Oh. You, you a squadron he, there, there was a reason why he did it going back to the seventies he was um a young a young troop troop officer and he got bullied by a group within b squadron and these were all major characters and it was like a mafia and the squadrons all had mafias, so nobody ever thought that he would come back as a you know a squadron commander and never as the c o so when he came back as the CEO, he brought in the policy then of, of cross-pollination of senior NCOs, and it was to break up the mafias within it. Now, it didn't work, because what would happen is, and in particular, G Squadron were very clever at it. If G Squadron had guys they didn't want, they would say, oh, okay, uh, we'll send them over to B Squadron, we'll send them to A Squadron and get rid of them, but their, their senior NCOs were always like G Squadron. Everybody else was playing the you know, the, the game where you then go across to be troop staff sergeant maybe with D squadron. And it was it was never a good policy really because when you have a tight group, all of a sudden, you know, you're maybe waiting to become troop staff sergeant and then somebody from A squadron comes over and, and takes it. You think, I don't know, you you know,
2: and my next like stop is this. Some so, of my best TLs though, they came from other squadrons. <clears> and they think I don't know why they didn't go they didn't get a job in that squadron when they came to my squadron, even though they were they, you know they were outsiders. Yeah. They were amazing. Mm. I mean, I was no, really no, thinking. it worked.
1: I mean, it worked because we we had some great uh, staffies come from well, in particular, air squadron. But that what it was was his issue. There was breaking the mafias down. He was the guy who got he got the whole regiment into the um, the briefing room, and this is where he told told us that they were going to badge the um, senior NCOs from the debt. And it kicked off and he said, I'm, I'm here to listen to your reactions. Well, all I was a young, a young probably corporal, all the senior NCOs stood up and said, no way, not a chance. Because again, the they were looking maybe 10 years down the line at postings. So you've got somebody who's badged now that hasn't been through the system and he could be taking your posting. Anyway, this whole thing kicked off. It was quite interesting. And at the end, he stood up and just said, it's happening anyway. I don't care what you want to do. These were his ideas, and he was the one, like I say, brought in this policy of, to get extra numbers into the regiment. If you, if you survive the jungle, you're in, which is ridiculous.
3: And, uh, they just don't work, and no, that's
1: going back to lowering standards. Say to get
2: a female officer, a, a female soldier in. It's what's the point? No, exactly. There's, there's interesting things about having a female on the ground for many, many reasons, whether they've got a skill set that they bring to the ground, um, whether they are very capable of doing the job or whether they actually bring just a different dynamic to the environment. A woman, you know, naturally brings a different dynamic to, to a male environment. That's, that's a massive asset for when you're trying to work, especially in some of the shitholes that we've been to where it's a male-dominated environment. You bring a woman in, and it changes that. Especially if you've got a woman who's intelligent, she understands the situation, she understands the environment she's in. She can be a massive asset in those things. But actually, what are we asking her to do? We're not asking her to get on the 50 cow. We're not asking her to get on the on the, on the the kick, we'll start kicking doors in. Why do we need a woman to do that? Unless she's able to do that and stick up with the blows, then great. But actually, are we trying to do that?
1: Oh, you, 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 it doesn't work. But you think back to Northern Ireland, the girls that we had from from the deck, they could do things that we could never do as in the, the regiment was the muscle for the you know the end part of the operation but these girls had you know re, like big gold balls that, uh, to do what they were doing and you know sometimes by themselves and getting into places where not one person from the regiment could get into so that that's a reason to have them you know in the regiment then they don't have to have that wing dagger to do that they don't have to put themselves through selection they just have to put themselves through a selection uh, to be attached I don't think it'd be
2: a uh, you know to all my mates I don't think it would be a pride thing that we'd be worried about a woman wearing our cap it has got no, nothing we're, no. we're above that yeah. it's got nothing to do with that It's making sure that you, like you said you're not lowering the standards to accommodate just because it's a political tick in the box for a Rupert or a mm-hmm. or a you know a minister to say that in their tenure they've got a woman through the door yeah we really don't care. We just want to make sure that we've got the best of who we're going to get on the ground to do the job in hand. That's it. It's as simple as that.
0: Yeah. Did, did <clears throat> so you you obviously spent a significant part of time, amount of time amount time in the regiment after the infamous incident incident mm-hmm. uh, uh, the E and E and the capture. Um, did that operation? Now you spoken about it afterwards and how afterwards we really. They were the were correct, correct things were put in place or were done after action, etc. But in the longer term, did that operation um, bring about any fundamental changes within the unit?
1: Well, uh, we had forward projection, I don't even know if that exists anymore within the regiment. We looked at the procedures and everything that went wrong and, and how to, you know, change that, and then the procedures of going up, you know, this is before technology, trackers and everything else, um, looking at, you know, what procedure can a soldier do in terms of if he's compromised and he's on the run, what does he do? So back at base, they, they can follow that procedure and they'll have a maybe a rat run where they know exactly where he's at. It's kit. It is basic things like orders, making sure they've got them. Look, that patrol was a complete disaster. There's a lot of bullshit talk spoken about it, and there was nothing right about it. Um, going down to weapons, I can remember um, when we were getting uh, when we'd been told that we were going to you know do it. Um, we got our, our personal weapons, which were two or and I uh, went to the store and I said, um, "I'll take a couple of bandoliers of grenades." And I'm, we've got no grenades. Well, what's the point of taking a two or three? You know with a weight, and then we haven't got them. So I went to my mates who were in air squadron, and they were working in half squadron formations, and they were giving me the stuff. Claymore mines had gone missing. And uh, we were told to make them out of um, ice cream cones. And I can remember Bob Consiglio, probably one of the bravest men I met, and I still believe that guy should have gotten a VC for what he did. Bob Consiglio, he was an ex-Marine, um he sacrificed his life to save four four guys and um he knew he was gonna die and he fits the criteria for a VC. Um I remember watching Bob getting C you know, sticks of C4, pressing him down in a um an ice cream carton with a bit of debt cord, putting rounds in there and then taping it up. And you think, you know, it's a waste of time anyway, but you know, this is not right. Um I asked for pistols. I said, do we have any suppressed pistols? And I got laughed at by the, you know, the QM by saying, you know, what do you think you are, James Bond? you know, like, no, our pistols had gone missing. So we didn't have any pistols. Um, the, the trousers, the um, desert cam trousers came in. Once you'd walked around camp, your ass was hanging out. <laughs> so we went to the seals who had good, you know, it was good camouflage. The day we were flying in, the RSM came round and he had uh, three things to say. One was he told one of the lads to get a haircut, and the other, and the rest of us, was to get our um, uh, uniforms changed, that we weren't Yanks. And the next one was there was a squash match happening in about three months in uh, in in uh, Hereford. Now, I, I looked like a tramp when I came out. Everything was shredded. Them them, it was poor quality clothing. They were hanging off the, these seals that give us all all that gear none of the guys had beards all had short hair in fact it was the mto that gave this lad a haircut prior to him flying in and i think if, if your priority or level of care or interest in a patrol is getting a guy to get his fucking haircut and and wear a british uniform who gives a shit you know them them rackies didn't know who you know what american uniform was it um and the kit was bad um Delta were just up the road from us, and they had they had the um, facility because we had a young Rupert up there as a liaison. They had the um, facility to get satellite imagery um, to um, take on on our um, where where our LUP was going to be, and it would you could get the imagery within twenty four uh, I think it was twenty four hours, and uh, thirty hours if you wanted it an analysis done on it so you could look. There went no OPSEC. Well, I, in them days, the Americans knew what upset meant. We, we were in a hangar. We were like airborne shelters in there and uh, local jundis sweeping it up, going into your, you know, into your place where all your orders are on. Delta were like well switched on. <clears throat> but again, we just got on with it. Splitting on this bit of conversation, I think this is something which is very unique to an SAS soldier. You, you take what you're given and we adapt. And we can, we will use or carry out the job with what we've got. Um, the day I got back, to, back to base after my escape, I was sent straight up to um, Delta because A Squadron Delta were going in to do a bomber assessment on that chemical plant I'd been in. And when I spoke about the different kit, they were horrified of what we'd gone in on. They were horrified of the support we had were horrified that there wasn't a rescue plan. Well, I, I, I wasn't, I just thought, you know, that's, that's, that's the crack, you know, that's, that's what happened. Well, that's what happens. But going back to, I think that's why we're quite unique in terms of SF soldiers.
2: We're quite generalist. So we just adapt to whatever kind of shit gets thrown at us. Mm. It's a bit of a bridge, stiff upper lip, a kind of bit to that.
3: It's interesting.
2: I was over at Dell and I looked at one of their little sort of museum areas and the kit that's on the guy that they had in like around uh, the situation the issue and also during that uh, well, this, uh, second golf, was stuff that we were wearing, well not now, but yeah. just a few years ago. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how little investment we had from the government to put into kit and equipment. It's not just us. I mean, we, we, we had it good. You look at the Green Army the crap that they had and what they're trying to deal with.
3: Mm.
0: You know, it's actually outrageous. I think, but I think. so that, that kit issue, I mean, this, this well, current it, theme, that yeah, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I'll, I'll tell you how thing. ridiculous it
1: got. When, um, when behind the scenes, when A squadron and D squadron were prepping, they wanted an excuse or give something to debellier and they, that's how these three patrols from B squadron were formed. And it would be we would go on the ground, we'd put our OPs in, find the scourts, and then you'd get the, the squadrons across. They came to us and said, right, you you we're putting three eight-man patrols in. These are your vehicles. We've got Land Rover 90s that we had to strip down. They didn't have any um, mountings on them. And I can remember one particular range day when we were practicing, once we got some live ammunition, we had fucking sandbags on the bonnet with the gym pee- and we did a, an advanced... There's no different shits of Sterling yeah. raiding the New Zealand <laughs> okay. camp to get some,
2: This is this, fucking decades yeah. later.
1: And we're sitting there, and we're driving in, and we, like, advanced to contact, contact comes up, and I'm like, like, with the old in the passenger seat, giving it wing. And then as soon as he puts the J-turn in, I'm falling out of the, um, this Land Rover 90, with the fricking jumpy burning me on the side of my face. And I'm thinking, and this is the SAS. You but don't we, see
0: that in Strike Back, though, do you? Just, know. <laughs> no, it's all, all, all going down there. Do you think, so, I mean, this is in stark contrast to what a lot of, probably your experience of being with uh, with Tutu, which um, we're talking a long time ago. Do you think that was a the situation there? Was was that because that those, I mean, multiple issues. Do you think that's because it was um, one of the, Her- Hereford was still, we're finding their feet in how to apply themselves in the conventional war space. Well, I Is
1: think in history within the regiment since it was formed in say Malaya when it was reformed in Malaya, they've they've been very lucky. Every year they've fought in in theatres where the first time they went there in Malaya, you had the Malayan Scouts. The regiment of when the SAS was formed, they actually started to look at SOPs how how they Fought the Chinese terrorists, so they were developing it, and they made a lot of mistakes. There's still a guy; he's in his nineties. Um, I meet him occasionally, and the things that they were doing, like going, you know, walking up in country for three weeks, and then having to walk back without, you know, decent radios and stuff like that. So they they developed it. Then Borneo happened, and the regiment went in and just ripped it up. So then the next thing is they're going out to the the Yemen. Middle East, then they had to learn desert tactics, they learn it, they taught, you know, some of the operations went well, some didn't, the next time they go out to that theatre, they just rip it up. Go back to the 80s, the only thing that was going on was Northern Ireland and, say, the SP team, everything was focused around Black Kit. that's where the, the threat was, and all of a sudden there's a war in the desert, so we're going out there, and in certain cases, I mean, A&D squadron did a superb job, you know, a real good job of the mistakes that were made, we say B Squadron, would never be made when the second Gulf War came on and the guys were just going out there on, on Gulf War two and ripping it up and, and finding their feet. And the fact that them campaigns have gone on for so long now, you know, I I don't know, but I would I would guarantee I, I would imagine that they'll go in and just tear it up because it's it's on their own. So the we learn
2: from them. absolutely I say we learn from the mistakes. But the issue I would say has been, and I think this is probably something for the British anyway, we're, we're reactive rather than proactive. So because we're reactive, we almost go back in and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're have to start from scratch. But you're lucky enough, you've got adaptive people that can actually get amongst it and learn and evolve and sort of work in those environments. I think that is, as you said earlier, that is one of our biggest uh, skill sets of being able to do that. But to be reactive to rather than being proactive is often it's expensive it 's costly in other ways as well. that is one of the issues and I think that 's across the board mm. um, but yeah, i mean off the, the lessons off the back of of those two campaigns the the kit equipment we 've got now is pretty mm-hmm. freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. The mobility skills and drills that the lads have got um, is is awesome the 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 stuff that we need to continuously work on and we always talk about this in any, in any conversation, is the absolute basics. So all these big new kind of movement pieces and insertion uh, techniques and everything, they're great. We learn them, we adapt to them. But what we need to stay on top of is obviously your basic skills, and that is as kids, getting the kids outside, getting, getting taking my kid out, fishing, shooting, walking, all those bits and pieces, so you learn the environments Because you can adapt. You, you know, We talk about this, whole Brecon can be adapted anywhere. It's, it's still the basics, yeah. isn't it? And that's that's
0: what needs to be constant. I think. Yeah, the uh I, going back, we talked about technology at the start, and I could you mentioned it when um you, we on about Miguel and the GPS and the, and the maps, and, and you mentioned it as well. I remember when when GPS started becoming affordable, oh three, oh four, and and the guys and the, the guys started buying them. I remember in my head, I outright refused to buy one. Outright refused to buy one because I thought if I'm gonna get one. That's the easy option to get my grid. I took pride in map reading anyway. It's the easy option to get my grid. So I ain't fucking getting one. I'm gonna stick with that. I remember going on a, a Slight course and there was guys on there and they would hide the GPS away in the there was a couple of GPS. Hide it away. And then they got the ground. What would happen? Batteries ran out. Mm-hmm. Mobile phones had just started becoming affordable. Yeah. And we'd check to see if tech like just we'd have tech to any issues. Guaranteed on, on the arrow on an AVAX look at it and it would be a text and the same person every time Mate, hey, where are you? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right, they had to ring him up and he go I'm, I'm trying night time trying to explain to you where he is in a fucking fucking hell Map. because yeah. he couldn't he was lost he had a map he had a compass but because he'd become reliant on the fucking GPS he didn't have a fucking clue to navigate a paratrooper couldn't navigate so, so I,
2: I helped out on the briefing course and there was a kid on the briefing course who uh, full screw infantry full screw and he said, um, I met him on my briefing course. This is him now going on again, one of my many briefing courses. Anyway, he uh, met him again. And um, uh, at that time, we did the swim test. He failed the swim test. I'm not being funny. If you're thinking about joining a Special Forces, if I asked my kid, one of the things, do you think you need to be able to swim? Yes. I'd say, if you're going to be in Special Forces, you need it. This guy doesn't know how to fucking swim. The, the next, um, he failed his map reading twice. Corporal in the inventory failed his map reading twice. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, how "Have you, how have you failed that?" And then, um, and I sped to him. and said, "Look, you know, you you, you failed your swim test. You failed your map reading. You're meant to be a corporal in the infantry. Why, why is this happening? All of these are fundamental skills you think you know. Because while I've been working on my fitness, I said, mate, you just failed the A minor. So what the fuck have you been doing yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for for a this period of time?' You know?
1: We had a serving blade go down to do junior breccan, and he failed the BFT. Can you imagine?" Know. Jesus. Failed it. Not once, twice.
0: You get those people out don't you. Yeah.
3: Even, me, even in a bit even, of bad luck. I, I know, but, but even in
1: Ireland. Was he on the last? <laughs> <laughs> <on> <laughs> no, no, he hadn't looked after so it. We lash. went through a, a, a period. I don't know what it's like. I mean, we just got like a, a new gym and then we had, you know, weights in there. But there was this culture of um, bodybuilding. It was, and that's when SP team was the main focus. So you, you know, you, you bulk up, and he just he getting himself too heavy. But he knew he was doing that course probably about a month or two months prior to it. Yeah. And the first thing he would do is I'm losing that bulk because I know it's
2: going to be strapped around my waist, and uh, I'm going to be running every day. Well, you said it. The issue when you go on there, and and it, the SES is a great place. I did join it, uh, join it myself to be you know for for an ego thing. I did it for me but one of the things is you do end up standing out on these courses regardless you'll always get looked at people are always judging you so that guy is already on the back foot because everyone is looking at him Mm. because they think that person is going to be you know we had a guy similar he's he came from a non-infantry i think was a tanky background came on selection was a bit of a wobble so they put him on juniors and then he had an ego on that course. He was like, well, well, I don't even need a beer. I'm in the SES. No, no, no. The SAS didn't teach you how to soldier, mate. The SAS just did, just tested you and you passed those tests. It has not taught you how to soldier. You're here to learn how to soldier. And his his arrogance of going down there, for the same reason as that lad, meant that he failed. But now, all those people on that course, now I think the guys are coming.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, when I... Did their, their juniors I was like, I can't leave this without a distinction. So I'm going down there and I'm fitting in, I'm an infant here. And that's the the, the thought process. So if they say put your notebook in that pocket, you put your torch in this pocket, you put that Play in the it, game. You just do it and then you you crack on. But I saw guys coming down going, Oh, we don't do it that way. And then you're like, Yeah, we do. And then it was my mate, um, he he was X two para. He got my all my weapons sorted out. I think it was fifty-eight pattern then. You know, with the old roll, the punch, roll the back, and tighten it up so it wasn't flapping and then you'd see some of the lads running and they've got like a jungle
3: uh, <laughs> it by tits. <laughs> Yes,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, a, it's this whole thing of being intelligent enough to understand a very simple situation and fit into it because you've got the target on your back. You play that, and it was, it's a bone saying, but you play that grey man all the time. Just do not, you know, stand out. One thing I, I know when I did selection, because I came from 2-3, I knew every fucker was going to be watching me, and I was guilty of, of doing the same thing, because when I was an instructor on, on, on 22 SES, I would go into the training office, and then you'd see all the names, different regiments, and I'd see right, there's one from two one 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 from 2-3, get them pointed out at me, and I'd be watching them. <laughs> And I was guilty of it, which is, you know, it's fine. The eyes are on them
2: um, from that side. And then there's self-induced pressure for those individuals because yeah. now they're putting the pressure on, which means self-induced pressure means they're going to fuck up. They're going to then overly think about their fuck up. Mm-hmm. When there's other people who just sometimes... They, some or they going to thrive. are going to thrive. Maybe. I mean, there are some lads who can thrive. Some people who are, we all know, them, Teflon. Mm-hmm. I've got a few guys that I've worked with. Shit does not stink to them. Uh, Jay Morton, the lad who's on the TV now, uh, our old mate, Fuck, that man is Teflon. It's because he's so horizontal, nothing fucking sticks to Inside, <laughs> I'm hoping he's screaming. But uh, on the outside, you know, shit.
1: There was, it was, it was a, a small example of that. Um, we all got to the cookhouse on day one, and there was a couple of lads from uh, 2 3, as well as myself, and 2 1. And some of them had e- the uh, SES epilepsy with Lance um, Cobra. I was like, that take it just, off don't just, just like, keep away from them add the old uh, crap hat on and yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that,
2: and just disappear in the background well you said that earlier about yeah. when you are up at Depot Parra you yeah. went up Depot Parra as an SAS guy yeah. and uh, you
1: played the game you just you go in I knew the hair, what the haircut would be yeah, I knew what no the uniform in, in like, everything because awesome. that guy um, Fred Toland he, he was RSM he's a great guy um, I was there with a lad from the Navy and um, we got in and we had the interview, and told that we were, you know, where we're starting and who our, um, uh, the training uh, sergeants were, and he said just, uh, crack on, fit in, do everything, and, you know, not play the game, but learn the, inf- you know, infant tears. uh, and, um, he said to, uh, Isla, he said, and you get a haircut, and then he looked at me and went, and make sure he does. Well, we, in Browning Barracks, used to be the, the hair barber there, so, your man comes in, he went, I oh, just take a bit off the sides, and, put it <laughs> there, and, put it there. and I'm like, You can't do that, I'm not like this. <laughs> Next time the RSM saw us, it was me that got the bollocking, <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. like, that. Oh,
3: fuck <laughs> you, <laughs> you
2: know. But, uh, uh, I've got a question, uh, have we got, have we got enough time?
0: Got a few minutes, it. okay.
2: Uh, so, um, obviously, when you started out, mate, right, uh, you we didn't have the social media like we do now. Um, there's a few of us now that come out, but well, there are some shit guns who are XSF. They are. We 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 know who they are. They did fuck all time, we kicked them out because they're fucking useless, and now they're big time and any chance they get the burial. Um, they are absolute Walters. and we know they're Walters because they have, they achieved nothing else. Um now we're starting to see some really good people come out. Jay Mortifer is a really good example of this. Um, you know, a uh, great character. Uh, and I've been on ops with him, I know he's out of what he's like and then obviously uh, yourself from back in the day There is a massive change and shift isn't there with these people coming out? Oh yeah,
1: it's, it's what we were saying. I think There is an illusion which is created for the NCOs of the regiment when you leave the regiment you don't say you're in there You don't, you don't advertise it, you don't do it. It's like bollocks that. They have every right when you see officers, ex-officers, they keep their, their wings on, they, they promote that on their CVs when they're going to an oil company, it's, you know, I was CEO, I was director of special forces, and yet the lads are supposed to, t- you know, keep it down. Now, there is a balance. If you start bringing out secrets and shit like that, it's wrong. Great. But I think, yeah, why not? The, the guys have served their country, they've had a great career they've reached the pinnacle and they should be able to utilize that to make a living when they come out you can't just say right um you're a staff sergeant or you're 001 you're leaving the regiment um get yourself a job in the office you know as a typist get you know go on a building site be a bus driver it's like screw that you've got to utilize them skills to a certain degree and 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 make a living because you're you know you're going to be a long time out of the regiment, and
2: you've got to make your money somehow. I think some of these people who, who we don't have any credibility for, you know, we are, uh, zero credibility, they came out on social media, they used it quite early on. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, it, it's put them in a position where, you know, they get legends and all kinds of crap. Okay. You know, and we, know, we know what they really like. I think it's very difficult for a lot of us because we wouldn't go onto social media because of that integrity and we yeah. had this thing where we shouldn't do this. I think there's a shift in that. that's what's good to see you Um,
1: yeah i mean i was forced into it because i mean there's a there's two say geordie armstrongs there's still in my back of my mind i'm conditioned to like in the regiment the other side because of the book world i've got to you know like do that i would i would never do twitter or or facetime and then i was forced into doing this instagram which I, i hate because i'm not like uh, I think that so your type thing, person. yeah, and like saying, "Oh, you know, look at me, I'm doing this," and then sometimes I'm sitting thinking, "Fuck, I've got to like send a picture. What do I send?" You know, um, it's, and it's you get wrapped up in it, you? and it, it, it's a vicious circle, and that that social media ends up uh, ruling you. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of sites on that Instagram when I've looked through. There's some photographs there that are, are pretty compromising, yes. And you think you're pushing it there uh, to fuck everybody else up. Yeah. Now, never underestimate the the, the the general public. It doesn't matter who you are, you, you could be the worst SES soldier or the best SES soldier. They're gonna be like putting it down, they're gonna be on bended knee and, and everything else. I would I got wrapped up in the early days with about another guy and it became a competition between the two. It started off with with a thing that he, he crossed the line. and... It, it, it was bang out of order. Uh, but you get wrapped up in it, and you get consumed in it, and what happens is you start losing the the, the picture focus. Yeah, in focus. So forget about them; they'll just they'll disappear or or go. Let them do their thing, and you focus on on yours. I know it's fucking irritating; it really is, but you just can't get it wrapped up because you're wasting time. It's negativity, and then you're putting yourself under pressure. You focus on yourself and don't look to. Email. And like you said, you're
2: always going to come out. The, you're always going come out the worst. For for me personally, social media is about promoting HROK yeah. and the stuff that we do around it. It's not about me. It's about using that using that SAS stuff as the ethos behind what this is all about. Mm. And that's the same as your books. You're using your knowledge, your uh, experiences to promote them, those bits and pieces of other books. Uh, obviously, some people they don't have that knowledge, they don't have those experiences. so They're actually trying to promote themselves, but. You go online, you have these you know these uh, shit thrown competitions with these people you'll always come out of the worst because, as you quite rightly said, instead of focusing on what's important
1: you never get break. wrapped up in anybody like saying, "Oh you know I like such and such i don 't like you do not answer any any shit like that because again um what I was, I was back at, I was in my house in America, and uh, I was sat there looking through it and um
2: Got a house in America. I have got a house underwater. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm looking,
1: and uh, there was a picture, and uh, oh, I was I was firing a, a pistol because you can't obviously fire them over here, so in America. So somebody put this uh, comment on saying uh, you want to work on your bingo wings. So I put it down, and I'm like that. So I'm sitting having a brew, watching TV, and in the back of my mind, this is going fucking boiling, boiling, yeah, boiling. Yeah, and course, I just course. pull the pin because this is some computer worry yeah. fuck I just put this uh, at first through came back I was livid and I thought right I've got to get all of that off now yeah, yeah. because you've actually shown yourself never ever react
0: to anybody yeah, quite right. because
1: it, no matter who you are there's always somebody um, who's going to think
0: you're a you know w- whatever they, it's, they want a reaction yeah. they want attention, attention yeah. the best is wind someone up the mm. best thing you can do. I mean, when I, when well, I'm so very fortunate with this. I don't have, yet, I don't have much negative stuff. I have had it, yeah. right? but not much. But if it comes to the likes like Instagram and Twitter, you can block people. That. Yes. I ain't even fucking blocking them. Because it's attention. Yes. If they get the attention from block, I just stick them on mute. And yeah. you don't, you're not even getting that attention. I mean, I, I was at a, a book fair,
1: and a guy came in, he went, uh, he said, yeah, he said, uh, I passed selection. I went, oh, um, what year? And it was, oh, he said, oh, three years ago. not like, really? He went, yeah, he's on TV. And I was
3: like, <laughs> <a real> <laughs> you've
1: got to take a deep breath. And I just said, listen, mate, that is the furthest thing, selection. You went, oh, no, it's not. He said, uh, um, I got a certificate. I passed the CS selection. And you just go, right, what would you like uh, written in your book? Sign it. And then I, I, I was
2: so I, I mean, apparently it's quite cheeky. But I mean, going back to that, there's, there's people there that they are doing the yeah. fan dance right and they're giving out rocks that they get to the fan with a SAS cat badge that's my cat badge i earned that cat badge and the person who's given that rock out with my cat badge just hasn't earned that that is walter Mitty. but there's all these people who are doing that event for the right reasons they want to challenge themselves fair play i think it's great but there's people making money off the back of something they've never done uh you know and to try and sell that you're doing selection to it not selection no it's not it
1: it it, it, it isn't well, and it, it, it but it's the SES have that aura you know where people want to touch it want to be around it them guys have probably never been in the army or maybe have been in you know an infantry regiment but certainly not in the regiment and have done it so it's you've just got to put it to one side but it is annoying in the regiment again the um i think the disclosure got um what, it, their patent the, the name they have done on and, and and the yeah. cap, uh, like yes, and the bash. yeah, it's good, and yeah, it's it, it, it should have been done a lot longer, you know, in the past. Um, but no, I meet at a book signing, a guy will come in and he's got his blazer on, he pull it to one side, and there's an SES pen under there, and you're like.
2: Well, I've got one for you. So a mate of mine in, he's, he's, he's SBS. He said to me, Ben, can you check this bloke out for me? Um, it's my stepdad. He said he was in the regiment for years. He said he was in the regiment for years. And, uh, and I said, OK, what's, what squadron was he in? He said, oh, uh, I'll text him. He said he was B squadron. I said, OK, what's the motif? What's the logo of B squadron? So he should know that.' He said, oh, uh, it says back here, it said um, it changes all the time. Right. Okay. Have you got a picture of your dad? Because or your stepdad? Because I can go round and have a look. No, by all accounts, his dad was a bit of a shit. Cut. So I went round to the squadron lines, looked all the pictures under the name, couldn't see this name. I said, "Ask him to send you a picture of of himself in the squadron." He sent me this picture, and it was you. He <laughs> sent a picture of you. He said, "That's me. Um, yeah, that's me. B Squadron." And I, and I was uh, talking to the lad who's next to you in the picture, who, who uh, we were talking about earlier. And I said to him, I said, because obviously he sent a picture, but with the eyes covered out. Yeah. Right. And I, and I knew who the other guy was. And I said, well, who's, who's this guy? And uh, and he was like, uh, well, that's me next there, and that's Geordie Armstrong. And I was like, so this guy's been pretending to be you. You have all the people in the whole p- picture, and then the one person he's pretending to be is the one person who everyone knows who he is anyway. But you get the, I mean,
1: every, every time I'm out, um, I'll meet people who will claim, it, and I'm thinking, don't tell me, you know, tell somebody else, you know. And the, from a serious side, was, over a, a few years, a woman came in and said, um, You work with my husband. And I said, um, what's his name didn't recognize the name I said when did I work with him she went oh in Africa and I was like whereabouts in Africa and she said it was only last month I went listen though when he talks about me what does he say and uh, she went oh Chris right I went no my name's Colin Armstrong and I said I don't know your husband and then she went oh yeah Things have just, like, clicked. Ugh. Turns out this guy was married, and he was going on secret operations. And a similar one happened. Secret
2: black ops. Yeah, Operation.
1: secret. <laughs> Where this guy, he was pretending to be a regiment guy. And I just said to them, um, listen, he's got. you'll have a red book, and that's got his military career in there. Get him to, you know, show. You'll not remember this book. It was called The Nemesis Files. Now, in a branding, it was black, and it had the wing dagger on there. And this bastard knocked me off the number one spot. This is going back 25 years. And the story was about an SES murder squad um, going into Ireland, killing Catholics and burying them in woods and stuff like that. The truth behind it was it was an editor from, I think like the Daily Star had come up with this idea. You needed a front man, so you got an ex-engineer to pose as an SES guy. This book you couldn't get it. It was just like tsh, 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 flying off the shelves. There was pictures of him pointing to a, a wood corner, going like that, they're in there, and like this. So an fucking idiot went to Northern Ireland on a book tour. He was arrested at the International by the RUC. They took him, they released him within 15 minutes, saying this guy's a complete Walter Mitty. Now, one thing that annoyed me was the regiment never made a statement. When that book was going out, they Could have shut it down straight away through the mod by saying this is total fabrication and everything else. This guy was going on TV on all the well, i The thing stars. is, when you can neither confirm nor deny, so you said so, he could be,
0: and he could, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. But he, this, the, he was asked on TV, he said so, why is there no pictures of you in your uniform? You're oh, no, I had a bad divorce, my uh, wife burnt all my pictures and uh, everything. <laughs> God, it's,
0: it's You've got to wrap it up. It's all right. Thank you for hosting us, HR4K Ben. Much appreciate it. Well Do it again. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Colin. You're an author. Original was the one that got away, obviously. Pen name is Chris Ryan. Yep. I'll keep you. Instagram, what when is it's on there? Um, It's X S S Chris Ryan. X S S Chris Ryan. Got a website?
1: No. Well, there's a publishing website, but I don't even look at them.
0: Best place is Instagram, then. Yep. XSAS Chris Ryan. Absolute Brilliant. pleasure. Thank Absolute pleasure. Let's do this again. Thank you. Sweet. Cheers. hope you enjoyed listening leave me an itunes review if you've got an iphone if you've got an ipad get on itunes please out of the podcast and leave me an itunes review i'd really appreciate it i like to see the feedback on the podcast my guests like to see the feedback on the podcast in line with that if you liked listening or watching the podcast today then don't tell me on social media get on to hr4k get on to chris ryan x sas chris ryan he is on instagram get on to uh, colin on on instagram and, and tell them Tell Ben and tell, and tell Colin. Yeah, heard you talking. Watch you talking. Really like what you did. Cool as fuck. Tell them. Another shout out to our sponsors. Westway Nissan, UK's largest Nissan dealership. If you're looking for a car, maybe you've got a company, maybe an individual, commercial-type vehicles, private-type vehicles, you can get up to a 20% discount on your purchase. Go to Westway Nissan, westwaynissan.co.uk. They also do lease hire if you're looking for that option. They will help you out if they can. And then most of the time, they can. Thank you to those guys. Also, Rugby the Heroes. Don't forget that the next event is on the 8th and 9th of May. No, the next event you'll be able to attend is on the 8th and 9th of May in Leventon Spa Beer and Gin Festival. R4H Beer and Gin Festival on VE Day weekend, 75th anniversary.
3: Rugby, forheros.org. Until next time, out.